Dr. Anthony Fauci recently announced that in a major study, the experimental drug remdesivir has proven effective against the new coronavirus, shortening the time it takes for patients to recover by an average of four days. The data shows that remdesivir has a clear-cut, significant, positive effect in diminishing the time to recovery. It is a very important proof of concept because what it has proven is that a drug can block this virus. The drug by Gilead Sciences is the first treatment to pass such a strict test against COVID-19. To understand more about remdesivir and the treatment trial, Christina spoke with Dr. Therese Hammond. She's a pulmonary critical care specialist and the medical director for the ICU at Providence St. John's Health Center. She's also one of the principal investigators for the remdesivir trials, of which the results were recently released. Here's their conversation. I think we have some objective data that this medication has some compelling um, compelling advantages in the treatment of uh, the novel coronavirus uh, uh, 19. Yes, and Dr. Fauci, who people have seen as part of the Coronavirus Task Force, also leads the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, uh, who sponsored this clinical trial. And they called the new findings, or Dr. Fauci called the new findings, quote, really quite important. <laughs> um, what do you have to say to that part? Well, you know, remember that uh, Anthony Fauci was there on the front lines of um, the um, uh, um, AIDS ep epidemic and sort of the early work in the human immunodeficiency uh, virus that causes uh, AIDS. And he made some correlations or some, some correlates uh, between the findings in the remdesivir trial and coronavirus um, uh, in comparison to the development of AZT uh, in the treatment of uh, or the um, the management of HIV disease. And, you know, I think that that's sort of uh, a very big statement for somebody of his stature to make that he sees this, um, the results of this trial as sort of the first potent, the first, um, the first uh, legitimate step forward in a treatment regime for this virus. I mean, I think most medical professionals believe that there's not going to be one magic bullet to treat coronavirus. It's going to require, in some ways, a very uh, similar approach as uh, was made for HIV. So something that's antiviral uh, medication like remdesivir that can, um, that can suspend or interrupt the viral replication. And then medications like tocilizumab or cerilumab or other medications that are being tested in trial right now that can decrease the amount of these inflammatory uh, cytokines that are released in response to the virus when the virus is being processed or when the virus is attacking the cells of the body. So, I, you know, I think in many ways he's making the comparison that this, this is really um, the first step in hopefully a unified approach to coronavirus that will allow us to tre treat this terrible illness more effectively. Mm -hmm. And in summary of what you just said, uh, this clinical trial proved a drug can block the virus, which is huge, obviously. And the findings were compared to this antiviral drug that was discovered for HIV in 1986. Can you talk about some of the findings um, from this latest study? Sure, Christina. So it, it's really sort of twofold. Um, the, the trials that 
we are a part of at Providence St. John's, it's actually two separate trials. So one was to look at remdesivir in moderate disease. So people that aren't necessarily, don't necessarily require high oxygen or an intensive care unit. Um, and then um, the other arm of the trial looked at more severe, patients with more severe uh, coronavirus disease. And both of those arms looked at a five or a 10 day treatment uh, uh, regime or, or course with remdesivir. So the first thing that they sort of found with this um, with this uh, series of, uh, uh, or in this trial, was that um, overall remdesivir seemed to improve the time to recovery. So there was a significant decrease in the time to recovery in the patients that received remdesivir versus the patients that received a placebo, about 31%. And that was clinically significant, meaning that um, the the difference found between those two groups couldn't be represented by chance alone. Right. So in sort of more more basic terms, I mean, basically the time for recovery was about 11 days in the patients that got remdesivir um, versus about 15 days in the people that got the placebo arm. So that was, that was significant. Um, and then just overall mortality. So in this part of um, part of the trial, mortality was also evaluated, and uh, overall mor- mortality had a trend towards decrease uh, in the remdesivir arm. It was about there was about an eight percent mortality rate in the remdesivir arm versus about eleven percent, almost twelve percent actually. I think it was like eleven point five, eleven point six percent in the placebo arm. But that didn't quite meet the cutoff for statistical significance. It was it barely missed that mark. Um, so there's a very small chance that that was um, that was uh, could be attributed to chance. But I think Dr. Fauci uh, also made a comment in that that certainly it looks like the overall data suggests that there's a trend towards mortality improvement in remdesivir treatment. When you talk about statistical significance, you're looking at the p-value, and you know, in in a sense, we want to make sure that there's sort of less than a five percent chance that the data could be um, uh, could be influenced by chance alone. So, ninety-five percent chance that the data is is appropriate that it, that there's no element of just sort of a chance occurrence. Mm. And I think the p-value for that second component for mortality was something like point. 0.059, so almost 0.06, and the cutoff is 0.05 for statistical significance. Mm. So there's a chance that, you know, uh, there's a small chance that it was uh, affected by chance. There's certainly some element there, but it's also quite possible that it was really a numbers game, that the number of patients that were enrolled was just too low to find a difference between mortality, although it found a very compelling difference in terms of length to recovery. Um, the odds of the, the 31% decrease in um, the time until recovery was remdesivir was significant to a p-value of 0.0001. So very, very low chance. In fact, uh, 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 it essentially eliminates um, the argument that that difference in recovery time could be due to chance alone. 
Could you describe the people in this trial, how they got to partake? So it occurred across a number of sites, including ours, across the United States, but also across the world. So um, basically, they were randomized either to receive um, uh, the 200 milligram dose of uh, remdesivir, uh, followed the, and then they got a lower dose, a 100 milligram IV dose of remdesivir for the remainder remaining time of the trial. So they either got, you know, everybody got the first day of a 200 milligram dose. And then the people that were out got 100 milligrams from day two to day five. And then those who were randomized to a 10-day trial got the 100 milligram dose from day two to day 10. Mm. And the comparison with those patients is that um, at least the first, you know, 397 patients is what they're basing this the this press release on today, the initial evaluation. But there's still enrolling patients, and I think ultimately there's the target was to have about 600 patients enrolled. Got it. And Gilead, they developed this originally remdesivir as a drug to treat Ebola. So what was it about this drug that made researchers think, hmm, you know, maybe this is it? Right, right. Well, I don't know if they, they thought that it was it, but it isn't it is it was designed to be an RNA virus and Ebola has some sort of systemic characteristics that um, that are that are um, reminiscent of COVID, um, meaning that you can have sort of neurologic, heart involvement, kidney involvement, and blood involvement. So we see a lot of hematologic abnormalities in the patients that develop uh, COVID-19 that have coronavirus. And when this sort of started, I think um, many of the uh, large pharmaceutical firms were looking at antiviral drugs that they had that could target RNA viruses. And um, and this was the one, at least in terms of um, Gilead's portfolio, that they felt had the best chance of having activity against the virus. And that's how how it sort of started. They did a proof of concept and they usually start in cells and in animal models and then uh, with the proof of, and concept of concept that it can have an efficacy in a virus. That's when they start the phase two and phase three trials to test it in humans. Mm. And, and imagine like all of these companies are really condensing years of, of research into the, a matter of weeks, which has been yeah. incredible you know it's, it's just mind-blowing it's been it, it's been one of the one of the most um one of the most impressive things i think i've i've seen in medicine and in, in science and um been uh, in practice uh when hiv was sort of at, at its beginning stages i didn't have that exposure but this is just absolutely humbling what scientists have been able to do by coming together working with people like me that take care of patients and getting these drugs to people uh, in enough number, enrolling enough people to be able to look for, um, look for efficacy. It's, it's just, it's really incredible that it's been able to be done in such a condensed way. Mm -hmm. And it really makes you think of, of what we're capable of moving forward as well. Yeah. I, I mean, for all of the, horrific and terrible implications of this virus I think that all of us are are um, just 
profoundly, uh, again, the the word that comes to my mind is profoundly humbled by how science and medicine has rallied and come together Mm -hmm. uh, to address this crisis. And uh, I think that uh, with the remdesivir results that were announced today, this is sort of a first step in the right direction in being able to uh, manage this, this, this virus. But it, it wouldn't have happened without a lot of collaboration, a lot of humility, a lot of um, a lot of uh, phil- philosophical change in science. You know, I, I think in so many ways, uh, different labs had been very proprietary, and this really, uh, really sort of forced everybody's hand. And, and you know, scientists around the world, very unselfishly, sort of came together and started to collaborate to make this happen, mm-hmm. to make these kind of discoveries happen. That's such an excellent point. And it also brings me to my next question, which is, uh, you know, scientists around the world are working on this. And there's a lot of misinformation. Just last week, there was, uh, quote unquote, leaked results from a Chinese clinical trial on remdesivir that made it look like it was not promising. So where's where's the disconnect on that? Well, you know, I think that that, again, goes back to the fact that nobody's sort of trying to volitionally release, um, bad, do bad science or release bad results. But I think the speed with which um, data is being accumulated and being and studies are being designed has put a lot of pressure, um, has put a lot of pressure on everybody mm-hmm. um, to be um, very, to, to take all of these results and uh, under very, um, to, to scrutinize these results very carefully. I guess that's that's sort of the point. And the Chinese um, trial was somewhat different. I mean, I think um, I think most people, when those results were released, thought that just the design of the trial and maybe the the um, veracity of the results were somewhat questionable, as much of what's come out of China has been. I think. Um, the results today, which have been scrutinized again by the NIH and by the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, um, has that added benefit of having scientists that have no vested interest in improving this drug look at the data, look at the statistics, and look at how this how the study was designed, and coming to a conclusion that um, based on the, this initial uh, analysis of the the data that there's a very good chance that this medication is going to have a, a very potent role in controlling this virus. So I, I know that half the group got the placebo. What happens in situations like this? Do those who receive the placebo now have access to um, the remdesivir as well? I, I heard Dr. Anthony Fauci address that. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, when you have results um, that come out, sort of initial results from these kind of randomized controlled trials that have placebo arms, um, when you have results that are either very, uh, very supportive of the use of the medicine or suggest that there's harm associated with the medicine, um, there's a ethical um, requirement that we make that data publish or make make that public. So theoretically, by using this medication, we can um, we can um, hopefully move forward with uh, an FDA approval of this medication, so that the people that 
were not in the trial or the people that got the placebo arm of the trial would have access to this medication. So that's the that's the motivation for um, releasing these results as soon as it becomes mm-hmm. uh, becomes evident that there's a an a, 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 a um, advantage or a um, uh, at least in this case a recovery advantage uh, in using this medication. And long term, what everyone's thinking is, what does this mean for us? Does this bring us any closer to a solution or normalcy? You know, this the the remdesivir, the target of the remdesivir is the virus itself. So it's useful in patients that have been infected by the virus. But um, as I think uh, Dr. Fauci has continued to stress, um, we have to control the spread of the virus. And so having better and more extensive testing is really the key to decreasing the number of people that are exposed to the virus, because a certain percentage of them are going to are going to be sick, although the vast majority of people with COVID-19 are asymptomatic, um, which um, means that most people won't get sick from the virus, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they can't spread it to other more vulnerable individuals. So this helps us treat the virus and hope hopefully will decrease the length of time that people will be sick and will will hopefully decrease the mortality in patients who are hospitalized with severe disease that have COVID-19 but it's not going to help us um, flatten the curve yet that's still a question about enhancing testing and access Mm -hmm. to testing Mm -hmm. great any other thoughts you'd want to leave us with um, from results from your study yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the I think the the um, most important point is that this is just the beginning. So it's a very complex virus with a lot of, um, and there are still a lot of studies are on that are ongoing about um, uh, disabling the virus at different points and also treating the effect of the virus. Which you know, the effect of HIV is immune uh, auto uh, acquired immune deficiency syndrome. The um, effect of the COVID nineteen virus is the cytokine storm, which causes a lot of the uh, damage and and leads to mortality. So there are multiple areas that we have to address here. We have to diagnose it and and have testing to be able to isolate and know how many people are infected and and know and get some sense of the course of, of that infection. We have to have a way of treating the virus once somebody already has the, vi- the virus, and that's where remdesivir is sort of the first cog there. And then we have to find ways to, um, to, to treat the side effects of the virus in the body, the cytokine storm, and those studies are ongoing. And then ultimately, to really be able to move forward from this, we have to have a vaccine that's effective um, that can um, that can prevent people from acquiring the virus, or if they get the virus, have an attenuated version of it that the immune system can handle. So it's just so complicated. This is just like one baby step mm-hmm. in um, our our battle against this this really formidable foe. Um, but it's at least a little bit of optimism for all of us on the front lines that have uh, been uh, seeing patients and taking care of patients with, uh, with COVID-19. Uh, I'm sure we will take every sliver of optimism we can get. <laughs> right, right. More Coronavirus Daily tomorrow. 
For more information on this episode, head to ktla.com slash coronavirus daily. There you'll also find all our previous episodes. We now have more than 30 over a month's worth. We hope you're subscribed to this podcast so future episodes show up right in your feed. If you're not, you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen. Please be sure to give us a five-star review while you're there and share it with anyone you think might find this podcast useful and informative. If you have questions or want to get in touch with us, find us on Instagram and Twitter at KTLA Podcasts, and you can find Christina on Twitter at Christina KTLA and on Instagram at Christina Pascucci. Thanks for listening.